Okay, guys, we're in Lesson 19, and we're going to do the third part of Joseph. Now, we're going to cover a lot of material here. Usually, we've been going about two or three chapters. We're actually going to hit chapters 43 all the way through the end of chapter 50. And, and there's a lot of reason for that. There's things that we don't need to get into intricate detail about, although we will talk about it later, okay? Um so what we're going to notice, again, we're not going to be reading, um, we're not going to be reading this large portion of scripture, but we will be referring to it as we go along. All right, so in 43, we're going to see that the brothers returned back to Egypt. Okay, they went back, remember, they went back with the grain that they got from Joseph. Simeon is in jail in Egypt, and Dad Jacob says, you guys aren't going back, because remember that they were supposed to bring Benjamin with them if they went back for more grain, and he says, he's not going, so you're not going back there, we'll just tough it out, okay? And that means Simeon's gone, I mean, he's in jail, okay? So, so you kind of notice who Dad's favoring, he's not really worried uh, you know, I've lost Simeon, but I don't want to lose Benjamin. Do you know what I'm saying? So, some favoritism being shown. So let's talk about it here. First of all, the famine continued to be very severe, and Jacob's family needed grain. So they get they go through the grain that they got. Usually, probably what they're thinking is, is that, okay, we got the grain. This is probably a yearly thing. We'll move on after this year. We'll be okay next year. Because Things like that happen in cycles, okay? But the next year, it's just as bad. And they run out of grain, okay? They run out of grain. So Jacob wished to send the brothers again to get grain again, but they reminded him of the demand. So they're like, okay, boys, I want you to go down there again, and I want you to get the grain from this Egyptian guy. And they're like, yeah, Dad, but you remember what he said. If we come back, we have to bring Benjamin. And dad gets upset. Well, why didn't you tell him? You know, it's like, well, why wouldn't we tell him? We were just kind of talking about our family. You know what I'm saying? So Jacob wanted to refuse to send Benjamin, but Judah guaranteed his safety. Remember Judah once before said, send him with me, and if he doesn't come back, you can kill my sons. You know what I'm saying? So Judah, again, guarantees his safety. I'll make sure that he comes back, all right? So, <clears throat> so Jacob sent them with a double portion of money and a gift of local fruits, a gift of the local things that are growing around there, if anything's growing in the second year of a famine, okay? A gift of the local fruits for the Egyptian, okay? So in their mind, they don't know who Joseph is. He's an Egyptian, Okay? So we're going to send him back a nice little present. Okay? And that's what you would do. A gift of hospitality. You know, we don't do that as much anymore, although some of you do that when you go over to somebody's house. You always bring them what? A hospitality gift? Okay? There are some people who still practice that. When Benjamin, well, excuse me, when Joseph saw Benjamin, he told his servants to prepare a feast for the brothers. So there they are, they come before Joseph, Joseph sees Benjamin, 
And he tells his servants to prepare a feast. Okay? Prepare a feast. When the brothers were brought to Joseph's house, they feared for their lives. Okay, so they don't know that there's a feast going on. They just know that they're supposed to go to Joseph's house. So they go to Joseph's house and are like, oh no, what's going to happen to us? Okay? They're afraid. Because they're afraid of who? Joseph. The Egyptian, excuse me. They're afraid of this Egyptian official who has an Egyptian name that they probably heard, okay? So they're afraid. They presented their gift and Benjamin to Joseph, who had to leave to express his emotions. So think about this. This has got to be hard for Joseph. So here they are, and they are there. They bring their gift, lay it out before Joseph, and then here's our brother Benjamin, and Joseph's like, okay, everybody leave, because he's got to leave the room to go cry. You know what I'm saying? Express his emotions, because this is overwhelming to him emotionally. Why? Because, okay, remember now, Benjamin is his what? Full brother. His mother, Rachel, had Benjamin, and that was his mother. And so there's probably a lot of family resemblance there. Do you know what I'm saying? A lot of family resemblance. Which, by the way, remember Joseph doesn't know that Benjamin exists until the brothers came. So as they feasted, Joseph sat apart from the brothers and the Egyptians. Now when you read this, you're like, whoa, what's going on here? I mean, why didn't he sit with the Egyptians? Well, because the Egyptians considered, are you ready for this? They considered Joseph, even though he's the second man, to be unclean. Because he was a Hebrew. And they wouldn't eat with him. Because they considered the Hebrews to be unclean. We're going to see why here a little bit later, okay? But he doesn't want to sit with the brothers either. So he's there's the brothers at a table. There's the Egyptians eating over here. And then there's Joseph probably having the food brought to him on a chair. You know what I'm saying? Apart from them. Kind of weird. Now, when they have the feast, it's interesting. Joseph knows the order of the brothers, so he has the brothers seated according to their order, and then a double portion is given to Benjamin. So they all notice that, and they're like, whoa, this is weird. Okay? So as they were preparing to leave, Joseph had their, <coughs> excuse me, should be had their bags filled with grain and their money. As they were preparing to leave, Joseph had their bags filled with grain and their money. So once again, we're back to the same situation. Fill it up with grain, stick their bag of money in the neck. But he does one other thing now, too. He had his servants place his silver cup in Benjamin's bag. Now, he had a silver cup that he used. All right? And so he has them place this silver cup in Benjamin's bag. Now, why is he doing that? Well, of course, you've read the story, or you know from Sunday school, okay? They were then sent to arrest the brothers for stealing the cup, which was found with Benjamin. Talk about panic. 
First of all, they're probably already panicked, like, where'd the gold come back from? You know what I'm saying? Then, oh my goodness, what? Did Benjamin steal that cup? Oh no, what's going to happen to him? We told Dad we would bring him back. You know, so there's panic. Then they're brought all back to Joseph, okay? They brought all the, all of them are back, brought back to Joseph. They were then sent to arrest the brothers for stealing, okay, excuse me. Joseph confronted the brothers about the stolen cup and stated, it should be and stated, that Benjamin would be his slave. So he confronts them and he says, okay, because he stole it, he's going to be my slave. So now they're really freaking out. Okay? Now they are really freaking out. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Judah explained their pledge to their father and offered themselves in Benjamin's place. So all the brothers now are like, no, we will be your slave. Let him go. We We told our dad that if we don't bring him back, you know, he, we told him we would bring him back. So you take us. We, you know, I will I'll go to jail for what he did. After having his servants leave, Joseph revealed who he was and called them to come near. So by this point, Joseph can't handle it emotionally. He tells, the, tells his servants, leave the room. So it's just the brothers and Joseph. Then Joseph, probably speaking Hebrew to them, so up to this point he's probably been speaking Egyptian, speaking Hebrew to them tells them, I'm Joseph. Come near to me. And they're shocked. Because first of all, what do they think about Joseph? He's what? Probably dead. And they become fearful because now what? They're afraid of what? Payback. Okay? They're afraid of paybacks. Now, here's the interesting thing. Most scholars believe the reason why he told them to come near is not just to see his physical appearance, that is his facial thing, even though he's painted up like an Egyptian, but there is one mark that would distinguish him from the rest of the Egyptians. Anybody know what that would be? Circumcision. Basically, he's saying, come near, look, I'm like you. I'm like you. Come near to me. The expression is to come and see him in his, in all of his glory, I guess. Okay? So, but it's, it's a significant thing, proving that he is Joseph. And they're afraid. Should they be afraid? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he, they did him wrong. Okay? He asked if Jacob still lived. First thing he comes out of his mouth is, is dad still alive? That's normal, wasn't it? If Jacob still lived. But the brothers did not answer him because they feared him. And so, hey, is dad still alive? Uh, 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 uh. You know, they're like, they can't speak. Because they're like fearful for their lives. Okay? Joseph stated that God sent him to Egypt to preserve their lives. Now, let me just stop here. I need to talk about this for a moment. 
How did Joseph get to Egypt? How did he get to Egypt? Yeah, he sold as a slave by who? His brothers. Was it a good life? It has been for the last few years, you know what I'm saying? But before that, he was a servant, being treated as a slave, was a slave, in prison. But I want you to notice that at this point now, when he talks about coming to Egypt, he says, who brought him there? God did. Folks, that's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity that can look back at a terrible circumstance, and even though you went through the terrible circumstance, you say, God is the one who brought me. Did you understand what I'm saying? God is the one who brought me. Okay? And, and so you really are seeing here, he's not struggling with bitterness. Because if he was struggling with bitterness, would he say God brought him there? No. In fact, what he says was, God brought me there so that we could save what? So that lives would be saved. Whose lives? Family lives. Okay? So that's very interesting. We're going to see this brought up again later, and I'm going to talk about this with reference to us a little bit later when we get to the end of the lesson. Okay? Joseph is a powerful example to us about when people do us wrong. By the way, do people do us wrong? Yeah, you better believe it. If, if nobody's done you wrong, you haven't lived life. You, you're, you're cloistered away in a closet in your house somewhere, okay? Because stuff happens to you. People will do you wrong. He stated that there are still five years of famine that will strike the land. So Joseph tells them something that they don't know. Remember, Joseph knows that after seven years of plenty, there will be, what, seven years of severe famine where nothing will grow. So they're obviously in the second year now. So he says to them, hey guys, there's still five years left of famine. That is severe. This is why God brought me down here to protect you. There's other reasons why God brought them to Egypt. We'll talk about those later. Okay? He explained his position in Egypt. So he tells them, hey, guys, I want to let you know, I'm not just the guy who sells grain. I'm the second guy. I'm the prime minister, so to speak. Pharaoh, then me. Everybody does what I say in all of Egypt except Pharaoh. And tells them to come to him with their families. So here's where I am. I'm going to protect you. You bring your families to me. And I'll watch over you. And I'll make sure you have grain and you don't even need to buy it. Okay? You don't even need to buy it. They will live in Goshen, and he will prepare for them. So Goshen was an area north of where they were, in the river delta there of the Nile, a little bit more fertile, and he said, "We will live. you'll live in Goshen, you'll be okay, and I'll take care of you, I'll provide for you. <clears throat> now, Pharaoh was pleased that Joseph found his family and invited them to live in Egypt. All right, so what you see here is a little bit of politics. Even though Joseph says, hey, you come and visit me, who's still ultimately got to give the okay to that? Pharaoh. So he finds Pharaoh, oh, you found your dad and your family, wonderful. They can come live here, okay? They can come live here. And you're going to see a little bit more of the politics of this if you read the passage here in a moment, okay? 
Joseph gave the brothers carts to bring Jacob and their families to Egypt. So here's your carts. Go get your, go get your, uh, go get the family. Bring daddy down. All right. So here's what happens. Israel comes to Egypt. Now Israel, as in Jacob, is Israel, but also Israel in the sense of his descendants that are there. Okay? So the Lord tells Jacob, now this is interesting. Every time right before Jacob was supposed to go do something, if you read Genesis, it's interesting to me, God always shows up and what? Encourages him, affirms him. Let's him know you're going to be okay. So the Lord shows up again and tells Jacob not to fear and that he will make Jacob a great nation in Egypt. Okay, Jacob, I know I told you I would give you this land, but you're supposed to do this. You go and you'll become a great nation there. Okay? You'll become a great nation there. Would that be an affirming thing to him? Yeah. The writer lists those, so this is why we didn't read it. There's a big section here, pretty much a chapter, where the writer lists those who traveled with Jacob to Egypt, and their number was 70. So now you say 70, there's got to be more than that. Well, it lists 70 men, okay? It lists the men. If you read the text, you'll see actually what it lists is 67 men who traveled there were already three men in Egypt. That was Joseph and his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so the number comes of those who were in Egypt to 70. 70 men. And of course, what? Their children and their wives. So it's obviously more than that. And from this, can I be honest with you? God makes them a great nation. Why? Because we know that there were over a million of them that left Egypt 430 years later. Wow, 70 plus their wives and children can become what? A million? Wow. Now, folks, they didn't have kids like we have kids. So, you know, an average family today in America is what? 2.5 kids? And some cultures of the world, even today, it might be 8 to 14. Poor ladies, huh? You know, so that's, that's reality. So they had lots of kids. Why did they do that? Because life expectancy wasn't high for children. A lot of them died in childbirth. A lot of them died in their childhood. Life was hard, okay? So, and remember, they're always wanting to have children to what? Carry on their family name. So God says, you're going to go down to Egypt, I'm going to make you into a great nation. So when Jacob arrives, he and his family settled in Goshen as shepherds. Now this is a political thing here. Joseph says, okay, you guys are going to go to, go to Goshen, and you're going to be shepherd of sheep and goats. Why? Because sheep and goats... The herding of it, the shepherd role, was an unclean thing to the Egyptians. They wouldn't want to have anything to do with them, so they would be up there. Nobody's going to mess with them because they're what? Untouchables. Unclean. Okay? And so you're going to be in Goshen, and you're going to be separated from the people. Why? 
so that they would remain distinct and separate from what? The Egyptians. Because would you, I mean, think about human nature. Would you let your daughter marry a despicable shepherd if you're an Egyptian? No. We don't marry that those kind of folks. You know what I'm saying? Because now the problem was in Canaan, if they had stayed in Canaan, they would be marrying into what? The Canaanite cultures, right? So God has now taken them to a group of people that they won't be what? Intermarrying with. Isn't that interesting how God is going to protect them over those 430 years? Keep them a distinct nation? That's interesting, isn't it? So Joseph presented his family and Jacob to Pharaoh, who permitted them to dwell in Egypt. Pharaoh says, how old are you? Jacob says, how old he is. So it's amazing. Because of the, because the famine con continued, so now we're going to see a little bit more going on here. It kind of explains the situation and the power that Joseph had. Because the famine continued, the Egyptians sold themselves to Pharaoh for food. So after the second year, they, the Egyptians come, come to, to Joseph and they say to Joseph, we don't have any more money to buy grain, give us grain. And the scripture records that Joseph said, okay, then give me your herds. Your herds will become Pharaoh's now. Okay, give us food. Come back. We don't have any more animals. Give us your land. All your land now becomes whose? Pharaoh's land. And then it's like, well, we need more grain. We don't have any, we don't have anything to give you. Give yourselves. You now become Pharaoh's. And he did that with all of Egypt except with the priests of their Egyptian gods. Do you understand? And their temples and stuff. And so basically, through the famine, Pharaoh becomes all-powerful in what? Egypt. Because everybody now owes him allegiance. <clears throat> so Jacob lived to be 147 years old. Wow, that's pretty old, isn't it? I think the most they say today, somebody today will live is 116 114, 116, and there's very few of them, like you can count them on your hand. They usually say crazy things like they smoke cigars and drink whiskey, but most people I know that do that don't live to be 147, okay? So, Jacob made his son swear to bury his body in the burial place of his fathers. Now, what's the burial place of his fathers? Well, remember, it was that piece of ground that um, Abraham bought so that he could bury Sarah. And then A Abraham was buried there. Isaac is buried there. Now Jacob says, I want you boys, when I die, to make sure I'm not buried here in Egypt, you take me back and you bury me where my fathers are. He makes them swear that promise. You're actually going to see that he does it twice in this passage. He does it twice. He makes them swear that they'll do that. So then you see a big section here, a big chapter, where Joseph brings his two boys, uh, Ephraim and Manassas. He brings his two sons to Jacob in order to receive a blessing. 
Now again, these are prophetic blessings. It's kind of like the blessing, if you remember, of Jacob and Esau. Do you understand? Now, when he gives the blessing, um, Joseph, his dad probably can't see at this point, the text says that he takes his right hand and he puts he wants to put it on the oldest boy. Jacob moves it and put it, puts it on the youngest so that he would receive the better blessing. And of course, Joseph is not happy with that. He wants what? The oldest boy to receive the blessing. So he moves his daddy's hand back where it should be, and then the text says what? Daddy moves his hand back to the youngest and blesses the younger over the older. Why? Because it's prophetic. You'll see why later on. Because Manassas would actually, uh, there would be a difference in the roles between the two half-tribes. Okay? All of this is pointing to what's going to happen later on. This is all laying the ground for later on. So J Jacob gave, next section of scripture you're going to read is that he gives a prophetic charge to each son. So he calls his 12, 12 boys in and he gives them each a prophetic charge. So he's not predicting what they will be. He's basically stating truth, God's truth, about what will come of these each son who will become the 12 tribes of what? Israel. Okay? 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob also charged them again to bury him in Abraham's tomb, and he died. So the final thing he says to him, guys, I want to be sure you understand, bury me in my father's tombs. Then he pulled up his legs on his bed, and he died. Oh, by the way, let me stop for a moment. This, this, this isn't really a, an issue here. I, I saw this a little bit in Canada. Every once in a while, you'll hear somebody talk about the lost tribe of Israel. You ever heard anybody talk about that? Okay, Bruce has. Uh, it's also connected with something called British Israelism. That somehow the Brit Brits were the lost tribe of Israel. I, I'm going to be honest with you, that is totally bogus. Why? Because the Israelites are what? Jews. Okay? And I've met some Brits. They're not Jews, okay? Unless they're Jewish Brits, which are very few. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you got to keep everything in perspective. We're talking about the Israeli people here, okay? Keep everything in perspective. Now, Jacob's family buried his body in Abraham's tomb. And notice what they did. And they returned to Egypt. Why? Because the famine's still going on. I mean, I thought for a moment, I thought, well, you know, what if I buried Dad? I'm back in Canaan. I'm like, oh, you know, there's my old stomping grounds. I, you know, maybe I should move back here. No, they did. I don't think they even gave it any thought because they're still in the midst of what? The famine. And they're being taken care of in Egypt. So they go bury Dad and they uh, go back. All right. Now, here's where I want to spend some time with you in these last five minutes and talk about some things with you. Reconciliation. Because guess what happens? Now that dad's dead, the brothers are afraid that Joseph will seek vengeance since Jacob was dead. The boys were probably breathing easy because dad's with them and dad would tell, tell Joseph, hey, you need to forgive the brothers. You know, they were, you know, they, they were young, they were immature, whatever, but now dad's gone. 
So the brothers, they're fearful. Should they be? Oh, yeah. And so they're afraid that Jacob, excuse me, that Joseph is going to have them killed. In fact, they even go to him and say, we'll be your servants. You know, and dad said to make sure that you didn't, you know, that you did treat us and forgave us, you know. Uh, so Joseph told them not to be afraid because God had used their evil deeds for the sake of all. Joseph told them not to be afraid because God had used their evil deeds for the sake of all. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to explain something to you about forgiveness, okay? There is a lot of misinformation and outright lies about forgiveness in church. What do you mean? Well, I've heard it said, maybe you've heard this, especially if you've, quote, have forgiven somebody for something. But you know what? When you Forgiveness is a process, okay? Forgiveness is a process. You've got to work through it. So, you know, somebody does you wrong, and then that person says, forgive me, and you say, forgive me. But you still struggle with what happens, and then that person says to you later, well, why are you still remembering this? Your forgiveness means you need to what? Forget it, right? Have we heard that one? Forgiveness means forgetting? Folks, that's a lie. You're not God. The only one who can forgive and forget is who? God. You can't do that. I'm going to tell you right now, Joseph forgives them, but he doesn't what? Forgive. Forget about it, okay? Here's the other thing. He doesn't even condone it. Because sometimes we'll say, well, I, I don't know if I want to forgive him because that's almost like washing it away and not not and absolving them of their issue. No, no, Joseph doesn't absolve them of the issue here either. Notice what he says. It's very wise what he says. He said, your evil deeds, God used your evil deeds. So he, they're still responsible for their what? Their evil deeds. But what he's saying is, is that God took their evil deeds and used it for good. So what's he saying here? The key thing about forgiveness is you're not absolving, you're not forgiving somebody who's done you wrong, but you're looking at God as being the one who's what? In control. And he'll deal with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you can forgive and move on. Because I'll be honest with you, forgiveness isn't for the person who hurt you. Forgiveness is for you. Because here's the thing. Have you ever noticed sometimes people do you wrong and they'll never say, I'm sorry to you? They don't even think they did anything wrong to you. Who's the one who's languishing in the pain of what was done wrong? The person who was hurt. I've seen people who were hurt waiting for somebody to tell them I'm sorry and the person who hurt them ends up dying. Will they ever be able to say to them, I'm sorry? No. Maybe in the, in the kingdom, but not now. So there's some very powerful things here you need to grasp about forgiveness from Joseph's life. Okay? So Joseph told them not to be afraid because God had used their evil deeds for the sake of all. Now, Joseph lived to be 110 years old and he died. So he lived to be 110 years old, 
and he died. Before he died, he made the children of Israel swear to take his bones with them. So he basically said, guys, you're not going to be in Egypt here forever, although they were for 430 years. He said, but when you leave, don't leave my bones here. Don't leave my bones here. You take my bones with you. And probably told them to bury them where? In the place of their fathers, where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were buried. Okay? All right. Okay, guys, so the next time that we look at the Old Testament, we're going to look at Exodus, okay? There's probably some things that Charlton Heston didn't tell you in the movie, okay? And uh, so we will uh, go from there and start working on Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy.